Well, good morning. I've been banned from... I was going to make a joke, but I better not go that distance. I've been banned from showing you pictures of the, uh, the new building. Okay? I've been told not to post them anymore. You're just going to have to show up and see them. Okay? Now, but if you want to come after church, and um, I'll show you some pictures on my phone of the sanctuary, what it looks like. It's about this close to being done. But there's more of the rest of the building to be done. So I'm going to ask you, pray for the inspections this week. Pray that things continue to move forward. And hopefully next Sunday will be our last Sunday here. Hopefully prayerfully. But you can't make that announcement yet. So just keep praying, okay? Um, be looking for opportunity to serve. We've already told the setup team. We sent out an email. Hey, if you're part of the setup team, guess what? Your job is done here. But it's just beginning over there. Because the parking lot won't be finished until spring, which means there's no parking lines, which means we need a parking team to help park people accordingly so we can get all the spaces filled correctly. And for some of you that are coming in in high heels or you're like, I don't want to walk through the stone, you're going to pull right up underneath the canopy and hopefully we'll have some gentlemen here that will be part of our valet service. We'll park the car for you, ladies, so you don't have to worry about that, okay? Now, see, now some of the ladies are liking that, right? So go ahead and nudge the guy next to you and say, join that team, okay? So we are so, uh, so close, and it's exciting. Yeah, but until that day comes, by the way, it's been exactly 10 years since when this church has been planted. So we're going to have a 10-year celebration like we've never had before in a couple of weeks. If I were to say something, then that is this. If I were to say, that's weird, what comes to your mind? Besides me, okay? But what, what comes to you like, say, that was so weird, or that person is weird, or what I saw this week, that was weird. Okay, what's coming to your mind right now? Okay, just think about it. What have you recently seen, and you thought, Lord, wow. Phew. I looked up the definition for weird, and weird is this. It's involving or suggesting something supernatural or uncanny or unearthly. It's also defined as fantastic or bizarre. Now, I would probably lean towards that second definition and say, that's weird, meaning that's bizarre, that's crazy, that's goofy, right? That's the weird I'm thinking of. And when I was growing up, you didn't want to be considered weird, right? Even though my brothers, the youngest of six, okay, they would call me a weirdo or, you know, we would, you know, you said those names. You didn't want to be called a weirdo at school or anywhere else, right? But today, think about this. Today, we create weird, don't we? And we celebrate it. It's like, I wonder how weird I can be. I'm going to post a picture that is so weird. And we celebrate it. We never wanted to be that way before. Now, let me give you a couple examples, real-life examples, okay? And, and, and so let me finish before you're like, why did he mention that? Okay, Lady Gaga, okay, at the 2010 MTV Video Music Awards, she wore a dress made of, made of raw meat, okay? Which commonly referred to by the media was the meat dress, Okay, in 2011, she showed up at the Video Music Awards, but she wasn't Lady Gaga anymore. She came as Joe Calderon, her male alter ego. Okay, so she came as a guy, talked like a guy, and acted like a guy for the day. Okay, so let me just stop for a moment and say, that's weird. Okay, that's, that's just weird. Okay, now for some of you who can't relate to that, let me mention Dennis Rodman. <laughs> okay, I don't have to say anything, so let me move on. For those of you who don't know Dennis Rodman, he used to play in the NBA for the Detroit Pistons. His body is basically fully covered with tattoos and piercings. He looks like a human pincushion, okay? Now, that's not the weird part. The weird part was when he released his book, and he showed up in a white wedding dress at his book release. 
Let me say it again. He showed up in a white wedding dress. That's just weird. That's just weird. Let me give you one more. Pro wrestler John Ferraro. He's known as Hammerhead. Some of you probably like, I never heard of him. Some of you are like, yeah, Hammerhead. We got to talk later, okay? He set the World Guinness Book Records for the most, listen, the most nails hammered using his head in two minutes. 38 nails, 38 nails in two minutes using his head. He could build a doghouse in an hour, okay? I was thinking about that. And I, all I can say is, that's just weird. That's just weird, right? Now, am I helping you picture what, what is weird? Okay. Now, let's, let's change gears a little bit and think about this. Do you know who else can be labeled as weird? Christians. Think about this. Christians are considered very weird. Worshiping an invisible God, considering you know, what Christians believe, how we act, we can easily be perceived by the rest of the world as being weird. And as a Christian, do you know what we think is weird? At least what I, as a Christian, think is weird? Really religious Christians who are overboard in their faith. Sometimes I think they're weird. That's the way it was when I was growing up. Seriously, you hear the word Holy Spirit? Okay, rewind me back about 30, 40 years, okay? And you say Holy Spirit to me, I'm thinking that's weird. As a kid, as a child, you go to church and somebody says... May the Holy Ghost be with you. And you're thinking, that's weird. Okay, there's a ghost. It's going to be with me. It's a spirit that's going to be with me. That seems so weird. But this is what we find out. When we look in the Bible, we hear, we learn about the Holy Spirit. Part of the Trinity. The divine Trinity. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. But outside the Bible... Anything involving the Holy Spirit, to me, seemed weird. That included charismatic people, speaking in tongues, lifting your hands in worship. In my upbringing, listen very carefully, in my upbringing, when I was a child, when I saw all of that, I thought that was weird. It didn't make sense to me. And oftentimes when something is weird to us, what do we do? We get uncomfortable, don't we? So I was very uncomfortable. And you just when you get uncomfortable, what do you want to do? You don't want to say anything. You sort of close up the mouth or you sort of laugh it off like <laughs> that nervous laugh, right? And you're just like, that's nice. And inside you're going, that's just strange. I don't know how to deal with this, right? My first experience away from home, I was trying to find a church to worship at. So I didn't know where to go to church at college. So I went to a church and I got in and people were jumping and raising their hands. And seriously, they weren't jumping quite over the pews, but they're getting some, some good vertical. And I'm thinking, this is weird. And I didn't want to be there. So over time, though, listen very carefully, over time, that changed for me. Why is that? Because that's the way they worshiped God. That's not the way I worshiped God. And as I got to know God more, over time, I understood this. Lifting hands is biblical. Lifting hands to God in worship is an act of worship. It's not weird anymore. You know why? Because I understand it. Now, am I one quick to raise my hand? Probably not. But there are times when I feel led to go to my knees and worship. There are times when I do feel to lift my hand and worship. Because here's the thing. It's a call to surrender for me. I can't do this anymore. So God, I need your help. But before I got to that point in my faith, some of that was weird to me. Does that make sense to you all? And you still speak of the Holy Spirit. 
I just think the Holy Spirit is easily misunderstood. So we label the Holy Spirit weird. It becomes a confusing part of what we believe. And the truth is, sometimes it's the same way about people. I mean, you think about this. When you meet somebody for the first time, and you might think, man, that dude is weird. Or she's sort of weird, right? Okay. Maybe the first time you meet somebody, and they're sort of, they come across that way to you. But you may not even like them. But once you get to know them, and as you build a relationship with them, guess what? They're no longer weird, are they? They may end up being your best friend. And you look at them and you love them. And it's the same way with God's Spirit. But at first, we maybe don't understand who the Holy Spirit is. Therefore, we think it's weird. But as we get to know God more, we get to know God's Spirit more, all of a sudden, it's like, I truly am beginning to understand, and I love this. We need to know, as I've said the last three weeks, what we believe. There's so much stuff that floats out there. It's like, what do, I, what do I really believe? What do I really believe? So we must ask, who's the Holy Spirit? Who's the Holy Spirit? We open up what? The Bible, which we've already determined and talked about being accurate. Recording of God's revelation to us, which we can trust. And we open up to discover who the Holy Spirit is within there. Now, listen, we can't, I can't truly do this in one sentence or one sermon. So allow me to try to summarize what I'm going to say for the sermon in one sentence. And that is this. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is God who lives in us to glorify Jesus and give us hope. The Holy Spirit is God who lives in us to glorify Jesus and give us hope. That's what I want you to hear this morning. But we'll break it down, okay? So let's first hit this. The Holy Spirit is God. Okay? Actually, the Holy Spirit is part of what we call, as I said before, the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three in one. And each person in the Trinity is distinct from the other, yet they're equal in their essence, their power, and their holiness. The Trinity, it's so hard to explain sometimes, and sometimes it can be very hard to understand. Matter of fact, St. Augustine once said this, If you deny the Holy Spirit, you'll lose your soul. If you try to understand the Holy Spirit, you'll lose your mind. And that's a very good statement. Actual word Trinity, actually, it's not even used in the Bible. I, I looked it up in the concordance, I couldn't find it. I'm looking everywhere. Where's it? No, not there. Where does it say Trinity? Trinity, the word is not actually used, but the Trinity is talked about all the time in the Bible. So grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, we'll get one for you. And open up to the book of Matthew. Book of Matthew, chapter 3. First book in the New Testament. Matthew, chapter 3. Starting in verse 16. Again, if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We've got something in the back. They'll bring one to you if you need one. Matthew, chapter 3, verse 16. It says this. After his baptism, the baptism of Jesus Christ, okay, Jesus... Remember, God the Father, God the Son. Jesus comes out of the water, the heavens are opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son who brings me great joy. In those two verses, we see God the Father speaking. This is my beloved Son, Jesus, God the Son, and God the Spirit descending upon him. The Trinity. Matthew chapter 28, go towards the back of this book. Matthew chapter 28. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus has been crucified. 
He's been resurrected from the dead. He has been with his disciples. He is getting ready to descend, uh, I'm sorry, ascend into heaven. And this is what he says before he leaves. Verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in what? The name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you, and be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. We, once again, many pastors and teachers, we try to describe the Trinity. We use Trinity illustrations and various uh, pictures maybe to say, this is how you describe the Trinity. But I'm going to tell you, it is so hard to do that. None of them can accurately do the job. And why is that? Because the Trinity is unlike any other thing. From the very start of the Bible, we discover that the identity and activity of the Holy Spirit is active. So let's do this. We went to the first book in the New Testament. Let's go to the first book in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, we begin to, you know, everybody, I don't want to say everybody, but as a Christian, I'd like to believe that most everybody's heard of this verse because we always start with it. In the beginning, right? In the beginning, what? God created the heavens and the earth. But let's read on verse 2. The earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep waters. And what? The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. From the very outset, when we said, in God, in the beginning, God, right? And as we read on in the very next verse, the Spirit of God was hovering there too. Verse 26, if you were to maybe turn a page over, same chapter, chapter 1, verse 26, as God is making things and creating things, verse 26, it says, then God said, let us, not me, or I will make, he said, let us, as in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, make human beings in our image to be like us. The Holy Spirit was active in creation. So how can the Holy Spirit be there at that time if He's not God? The answer? He's God. Some people think the Holy Spirit didn't come until the day of Pentecost, which is in the New Testament in the book of Acts. As we know, Jesus then ascended into heaven, and then His disciples went and waited for him in a room, like, okay, when's he coming? And then the Spirit of God came, the day of Pentecost. And some people think, that's when the Holy Spirit came. Holy Spirit has always been there, all the way back, the very beginning. You may remember in uh, my messages about God's Word, the Bible, that according to the Apostle Paul, in 2 Timothy 3.16, we said, all Scripture is God-breathed. So when you're looking in the Bible... And opening up, it's like God's breathing into you. All Scripture is God-breathed, okay? But according to Peter, the Holy Spirit also played a role in giving us God's Word. Let me read 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21 to you. Above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding or human initiative. No, no. These prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. These prophets were what? Moved by what? Who? The Spirit of God. They spoke from God. Since only God can give us His Word, we have no other reason to conclude than that the Holy Spirit is God. 
if all scriptures God breathed and the Holy Spirit spoke into them to write these things, the Holy Spirit is God. Now, in your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans. Okay, so you're in Matthew. From Matthew, go Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. Just a few books back from Matthew. Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, which is, if you remember, months ago was one of our favorite passages to preach through. We read this, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God, let me hear you say Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, listen, who raised Jesus, let me hear you say Jesus. Jesus from the dead lives in you. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as God, I mean, you say God, but we've already hit the Trinity again in this passage. And God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. He will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. Paul says it's the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was not performed or accomplished by medicine or doctor. It was supernatural. So it required a miracle of God. And a miracle requires a miracle worker, God. And in this passage, we read it's the Spirit of God. Acts 2.32 says this, God raised Jesus from the dead, period. So again, we think, wait, is that a contradiction then? Didn't we just say a Holy Spirit? Then we just say God raised But Here's the thing. The Holy Spirit is God. Now, about this point in time, you're sitting there going, I believe what St. Augustine said. <laughs> to try to figure this one out, you could lose your mind. But what we know is true. God, the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. So when we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is God. Just as last week we said Jesus is God, God in the flesh. Right? So who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit is God. Let's say that together. We'll say the Holy Spirit is God together. Let's say it together. The Holy Spirit is God. That is truth, okay? Now let's finish on with that sentence that I originally started with. The Holy Spirit is God who lives in us. Who lives in us. So we're going to focus on that second thing about the Holy Spirit living in us. Because that's another hard thing to grasp as a believer in Jesus Christ. And especially this, if you don't believe in Jesus Christ, if you've never placed your faith in Him, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, that right now to you sounds really weird. Really weird. So let's look back at Romans 8, 11. Everybody still there? Look back at Romans 8, 11. It says, The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Underline that if you want. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He'll give life to your mortal bodies. Listen, by the same Spirit living within you. The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in you. Now, is that somewhat scary or weird to think about? God's Spirit in you? Author David Smith said this, Consider all the various structures, all the various temples, that were built hundreds and possibly thousands of years ago to honor various gods. He mentions a few. The mighty Parthenon and its marble columns to honor the goddess Athena was, was breathtaking. But not as decorative as a current, actually a few current temples. A Buddhist temple known as the Shwedagon Pagoda in Myanmar. It's covered in gold 
its spire that goes up is decked with over 5,000 diamonds and 2,000 rubies. Now, there's another one, the famous, it's called Wat Rang Khan. It's another Buddhist temple in Thailand. It shines in daylight due to its whitewashed stone and these mirror flakes, golden mirror flakes. Cambodia has one called Angkor Wat, which means city of temples. It's the world's largest temple, 200 acres of walls, pools, courtyards, and towers. Now, here's the thing. These temples are definitely eye-catching. They're brilliant. They look majestic. You look at these temples and you're like, wow. Wow, to worship there, right? We're getting excited about the fact that we have a new church to worship in. And if you look at the pictures I've taken or if you've been there, you're like, wow, right? Let me say something. People go to those, connect, those temples, the Buddhist temples that I'm telling you about, okay? People go to those Buddhist temples to what? Connect with their God. They have to go there to connect with their God. The Holy Spirit sets himself apart from all those gods who are not gods, by the way, by dwelling in a place that is less decorative, less majestic. The Holy Spirit chooses to live within us. We are not a towering temple, are we? He chose to live in us. In your Bibles, you're in the book of Romans. Go back a couple books to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 14. Jesus is speaking with his disciples. This is just soon, 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 soon before he is going to be arrested and he has this discussion with his disciples. John chapter 14, starting in verse 15. Again, I love it. Jesus, knowing that his time is short with his disciples, what do I need to tell you before I leave? Because within days, I'm not here. And you're going to be hurt. You're going to be sad. What do you need to hear from me? Jesus says this, starting in verse 15. If you love me, obey my commandments. I will ask the Father, God, He will give you another advocate, the Holy Spirit, who will never leave you. You might want to underline that. Never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all the truth. The world can't receive Him because it isn't looking for Him. Why? Because they think He's weird, right? They don't recognize Him. But you know Him because, why? He lives with you now, Jesus, and later will be in you, Holy Spirit. Think about this. Our mighty God, creator of heaven and earth, decided to live inside fragile human beings. Not massive structures of wood and gold and marble, expensive jewels and diamonds. God says, I don't need those temples to reside in. I'm choosing you. I want my spirit. I want to live in you. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You don't belong to yourself. Why, when we have the teenagers get together, why do they hear this verse all the time? Because as a teenager, we're trying to help them understand, before you start pumping drugs into your body, before you start polluting your body with all kinds of chemicals, before you start abusing your body with another person or whatever it may be, understand this, that's not your body. As a Christian, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Whatever you put in, you pollute the temple. It's huge. 
It's so hard to wrap our minds around, isn't it? The concept of God living in us. It just blow you away right now. It's like, okay, that is hard to grasp. But it's true. It is true. Let's rewind from the beginning. In the Old Testament, okay, God the Father is portrayed as what? Living above us. If you're looking in the book of Exodus, you see Moses, what did he do? He went up to the mount, top of Mount Sinai to give what? To meet with God so that God could give him the law on how we should live. This would please him, right? But unfortunately, everybody breaks the law. We're all lawbreakers. We all mess up. We can't live according to what God had said. Listen, I'm holy. I want you to be holy. But guess what? We can't be holy like God. So sin, that breaking the law, separates us from God. So God's like, okay, I'm going to take a step closer to you. So in the New Testament, what do we have? God takes a step closer to us. He comes down in the flesh, Jesus Christ. So he comes down from heaven himself, reveals himself as Jesus. He, he is beside us now. He walks with us. He teaches us. He performs all these miracles, and we see him as Jesus is with us, walking right beside us, right? Unfortunately, we choose, we meaning those back then, but it's our sin too that's guilty of this, to crucify him. So God said, okay, now you crucify me. Let me take another step to get closer to you. No longer from above, no longer from the side. I'm going to get even closer to you. I'm going to come in. I want to be dwelling in you. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. Back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let me read this to you from 23 and 24. You can turn there if you want. Romans chapter 8, verses 23 and 24 says this. And we believers also groan. Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. Did you hear that? Even though we have the Holy Spirit within us. We're going to hear that a lot in the Bible. As a foretaste of future glory. We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. How many of you woke up this morning and said, like, I'm tired of my bones aching. I'm tired of being sick. I'm tired of somebody in my family being sick. I'm, I just wish I wasn't sick anymore. I wish I wasn't alone. I wish I wasn't hurting, right? That's our groaning for the future, right? We long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. It's like, yes, Paul, I hear you. I agree, right? We too, it goes on to say, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We are given this, listen, we were given this hope when we were saved. If you're not saved, you don't have the hope. If you're in here this morning and say, I feel so hopeless. I feel like, just mad. I, I, I don't understand what you're talking about. Because let me tell you why. Because you don't have God's spirit in you. Maybe you've never confessed your sins to a holy God. Maybe you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life. If you haven't, you don't have that hope in you. And I don't say that to boast that over you. I'm saying to you, here's the answer for you today. Here's the hope for you today. It's in God sending his son Jesus Christ to live for us, to die for us, to be resurrected from the dead so that his spirit can come and reside in us. We were given this hope and we're saved. This hope, meaning the Holy Spirit, has been given to us. God can't get any closer to you than being in you. And if you're a Christian and you've confessed, He's in you. He can't get any closer. Listen carefully. Because some people might get this confused. Like, so does this mean like God's Spirit's in me? I become a God? No. Okay? No. 
Listen, you got a virus or a bacteria in you? Does that make you a virus or a bacteria? No, it just makes you sick, right? When the Holy Spirit lives in you, we don't become God. Instead, we become supernaturally empowered to do great and mighty things for His glory, not ours. That's the way it works. Church, listen, God's Spirit lives in us. That is so important. So important. I know some of you are here today hurting and confused. You're wondering what the Holy Spirit has to do with all your pains and problems. You say, okay, Rex, thanks for talking about the Holy Spirit, but what does it have to do with me with all my pains, all my problems? What does it have to do with a little seven-year-old who died this week? Tell me, Rex, how does the Holy Spirit have to fit with all this? Let me tell you. I can't face, I can't face today's problems. I can't face a Tuesday funeral without the help of God. Without God's Spirit in me, I'm a wreck. Without God's Spirit working with me, I am hopeless. Without God's Spirit in me, I can't face tomorrow. But because of God's Holy Spirit, God living in me, I can face tomorrow. I can find hope. I can find peace. I need the Spirit of God to remind me, it's going to be okay. I need the Spirit of God to say, trust me, trust me. When everything else around you is failing, trust me. I need that. And I'm going to guess you do too. For those of you who are trying to make sense of your pain, maybe death, life's turbulent rides right now going on in your life, here's the thing. I can give you some books to share. I can give you a great quote. Matter of fact, I took a picture of this, put it on my phone so I could read it to you. So I'm, this was encouraging to me, okay? Because I was just thinking about what's going on this, this past week. In God's plan, every life is long enough and every death is timely. And though you and I might wish for a longer life, God knows better. This was written by somebody who lost a seven-year-old. And this is important. Though you and I may wish a longer life for our loved ones, they don't. Ironically, the first to accept God's decision of death is the one who dies. While we're shaking our heads in disbelief, they're lifting their hands in worship. While we're mourning at a grave, they're marveling at heaven. While we're questioning God, they're praising God. I, when I read that, that spoke to me. Now, why was that sufficient for me? Because God's spirit within me said, Rex, I want you to hear something that might help. I, I can give you some books to read. I can give you some quotes to read. But here's the, here's the thing. Before I give you that, you know what you need? Before I give you a good book to read or a great verse to read, you know what you need? You know what I need? We need God's presence in us. Those books to read, those quotes, those wonderful things posted on social media with a little verse and things, those are nice. They mean nothing if you don't have God's Spirit in you. When you have God's Spirit in you, those things come along and they mean a little bit more. They complement what God's already doing in you. We need the peace of God in us. Romans 8, 26 says this. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans that can't be expressed in words. As a child of God, one who believes... And follows Jesus. I can say this. God is with me. God is in me. And you can say the same thing. He convicts the world of sin. 
God's righteousness and the coming of judgment. He guides us in all truth. When you look in the Bible, the New Testament, scriptures are just full. Even the Old Testament are full of descriptions of the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to go through and study all it talks about the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is so active, we say, man, the Spirit of God's like busy. He's leading, he's equipping, he's empowering, he's leading, he's transforming lives and go on and on. It's like, that's the Holy Spirit. Like, yes, yes, yes. And then we step back and say, so why does the Holy Spirit seem so weird? Maybe because we don't know him. If you don't know him, you don't know truth. If you don't know him, you haven't experienced world-changing power. It's like carrying a hammer in your tool belt, walking up to a two-by-four with a nail, and you're like reaching to your pocket, and you pull out your smartphone. You start banging that nail down. And you say, that's not smart. I thought that's what I do, right? Here's the thing. Instead of using your smartphone, you should have used a hammer. But you didn't realize the power and the purpose of that hammer. We do the same thing with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in us, and we don't even know how to relate to Him. Church, if you don't know who the Holy Spirit is or understand Him, you don't know His power. But I'm going to say this. If you do know the Holy Spirit, He is anything but weird, right? He is God Himself. He loves us so much. He chose to live within us, even though we are frail, even though we are faithless and how sinful we can be. He personally shapes us into the image of Jesus so we can grow in love and joy and peace and kindness and self-control. We need the Spirit of God every day, every moment. So here comes the question. How? Right? Because I hope and pray by now, as I've been preaching, I've been sharing God's Word to you, I hope you're sitting there saying, okay, thanks, Rex, but how do I get the Holy Spirit? You have to place your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to believe in Jesus Christ. Jesus said this, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No man comes unto the Father except through me. I'm sorry, going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Because your parents are Christians doesn't make you a Christian. Doing good things does not make you a Christian. You want to know how to get to heaven? You need to know Jesus Christ. Son of God. You need to place your faith in Him. You need to realize that you and I are sinners. We are separated from a holy God because of our sin. And we need to confess that. God, I am sorry. I have been such a jerk. I've done all these wrong things. I'm sorry because I didn't realize that when I do these things, I hurt you. I don't want to hurt you anymore, God. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Make me new. God, come into my life. As a child, we say, Jesus, come into my heart. God's Spirit is going to invade your heart. Ask Him to do that. Let Him take up residency inside you. Romans 10, 9-13 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. Did you hear that? It's believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's not doing the good things. It's not going to church. It's like trying, not trying to be a better person. That doesn't get you right with God. That just makes you a good person. It's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. As the scripture tells us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Jew, Gentile, 
are the same in this respect. They have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call Him. For everyone, listen, everyone, look at the person next to you and say, everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We must believe. And as I said the last few weeks, our beliefs lead to our action. Act on what you believe to be true. Charles Bond, and I've shared this story with you before, Charles Blondin is a well-known tightrope walker, a French tightrope walker. Back in 1860, he became the most famous because he stretched this tightrope across Niagara Falls. Okay, just imagine this. 1,100 feet of rope, that's about a quarter of a mile, stretched across Niagara Falls. He would go, and people from Canada and the United States would come and watch him as he would go across, back and forth on that tightrope. One time it's walking, next time it's running, next time he did all kinds of crazy stuff. 160 feet above the falls, he was walking on stilts. He took a bicycle across. He walked across in the dark. He went across blindfolded. One time it's recorded. I don't know if they have pictures. Then he went across halfway with a stove and an egg, made an omelet, and went back. Right? Unbelievable, right? Okay. At that point, I'm like, I don't believe it anymore. Look him up. Here's the story. Actually, too, I shared this at a camp. This is about... 15 years ago, I was at a church camp, shared this with a bunch of junior hires, and afterwards, this little junior high girl comes running down, that was my great-great-uncle, and he was like, what? So, so, so it's true, cool, I thought it was just a cool story. Okay, but on one occasion, this large crowd gathered to watch Charles Blondin carefully walk across, one dangerous step at a time, with a wheelbarrow with potatoes in it, okay? So he took that wheelbarrow across, and everybody's like, Jerry, yeah, it's awesome, it's awesome. Dumped the potatoes out, and he said, how many of you think I could put a person in here and take them across? Oh, yeah, they're all raising their hands, they're all excited, yeah, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. And he says, who's the first to want to get in? Now, do me a favor, just look across the room right now. See any hands up? That's how many hands were up then. There's no hands. You just put yours up, I saw that. Okay. <laughs> Nobody would get in the wheelbarrow and go back across. So let me say this to you. A lot of us say, I believe, I believe, I believe. But you know what? You know what your belief is followed up with? Action. All those people who said they believed he could go across with a person in there, did they really believe? Because let me tell you something. If you really believe, you're the first one in the wheelbarrow. Oh, I believe in Jesus Christ. Do you really believe? I believe that God's Spirit resides in me and He will help me tomorrow with the hope that I need and the peace that I need. Do you really believe that? Have you stepped into the wheelbarrow? James said this in chapter 2, verses 14 to 17. What good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anybody? Suppose a brother or sister has no food or clothing, and you say, hey, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm, eat well, but then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do? Because you see, faith by itself isn't enough. Unless it produces good deeds, it's dead and useless. To have faith, as we use that illustration, is to climb in the wheelbarrow. Many of us say we believe, but do we really? If you really believe, you've got to act. You've got to climb in that wheelbarrow. Otherwise, like many Christians today who stand on the side of the waterfall and we just stand there and cheer as people are going across on that journey for Christ. Faith is useless unless you're in the wheelbarrow making the journey across. And here's the amazing thing. That waterfall, and I've been there, and you maybe have been there too, as you're standing by the edge, it's intimidating. It's scary. It's powerful, right? Whether you're in the wheelbarrow or not, that's scary. But in the wheelbarrow, I'm going to guess it's a lot scarier, right? But here's the thing. But God is with you. God isn't just with you. He's in you. He's the one pushing the barrel. He's the one taking you across. That 
is how the Holy Spirit works in your life. So you trust Him. He is the one walking with you. Every step, every scary moment, every dangerous moment, every fearful moment, every tearful moment, God is there with you. This past week, I looked at the sadness and the pain around me and something tragic like the death of a little seven-year-old Ava. You have to ask why, right? I'd be a liar if I said nobody wants to know an answer. We all want an answer. We all want answers. No matter if you're young in your faith or old in your faith, it still hurts. But I have to hop in that wheelbarrow and trust God on this one. Because he's a faithful God. He's proven himself to be true, to be loving. I don't have to question that. You may hear somebody say, well, God has a plan. They probably, you probably heard somebody quote Romans 8.28 already. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to the purpose for him. That's a great verse. Sometimes it's taken out of context. Work together for good? God, how does this work together for good? How can this be good? Those moments of pain and question don't seem good at all, right? How can last week, how can that be good? Really? But according to this verse, the ultimate culmination is good. Let me help you think this through, okay? Consider this thought. You sip on a cup of coffee, okay? Let me be like, oh, oh, this coffee is so good, right? Let me ask you something. When you're taking that sip, what are you saying? Oh, the beans are good. Oh, the hot water is good. Oh, that filter is so good. You're not, are you? Because nobody's popping beans and nobody's drinking hot water. And nobody's chewing on a filter. But when you use the filter and you crush the beans and you open up that bag of coffee and pour it in there and you run the hot water through it, then you have the coffee. It's the culmination of all those things that made something good. By themselves, none of them are really good. But together, something incredible has happened. I will never forget, never forget a friend of mine and what happened. You know, I think about this, sickness, heart attacks, loss of job, terrorist attack. I know those are not good. And according to the Bible, those are not good either, right? Terrible tragedies, but we're, we live in a sinful, fallen world. And every message in the Bible compels us to come back to believe that God will mix all these ingredients together and bring good out of them. And when we say good, what do we think is good? We define good as what? Pain-free living. We define good as uh, having a healthy life and comfort and recognition. But what is God's definition of good? We don't have time to go through it, but I mean, Jesus went through struggles and storms and death to be crucified to give us what? Glory and salvation. 25 years ago, a friend of mine died. And here's what happened. It was a non-threatening car accident. It was a simple leg injury. He's in the hospital, got out of the hospital, thought life was good, and it was just a few days later, passed over and died. There was a blood clot nobody knew about in his leg that went all the way up to his brain and killed him. Healthy man, great family man, kids, young kids, and they sit there and think, why would a godly man who had a family who's doing a lot of incredible things for God at this point in time die without any warning? I didn't understand. Just like we ask the question all the time, why? Why does this happen? Family, church members and a few high-end business people came to his funeral. And I was after the funeral, I was walking down the hallway, and, and one of the gentlemen that was a business friend of his was walking with me, asking me about the church, and we were talking. And he looked around, and he said, Hey, 
would you think you'd want to bring, because he was actually a, a manager and, and, uh, for music, and he said there's a group by the name of Skillet. Don't know if you ever heard of this Christian band before, Skillet. And I'm thinking, yeah, I'm a youth pastor. I know Skillet. They're awesome, okay? We'd like to bring, you would think about bringing Skillet in here and doing a concert in Wasiana. I was like, yeah. So because I got to meet this guy, Skillet comes to Wasiana. We have a sold-out concert in the church. And we were all excited because we were like, we're going we're gonna to ask people to give their lives to Christ afterwards. And we were all pumped and fired up. And nobody came forward. I was like, we were hoping people would come to know Jesus as a result of this concert. All right. A couple years later, I'm at a baptismal. Young ladies getting baptized. And every, just like we do at our church, these, these people, whoever's getting baptized, stuff. I came to know Jesus when, and they share that testimony. Young lady gets up. I came to know Jesus when I was at a skillet concert. I didn't go back to the room to pray with them or talk to anybody. But, and I'm sitting there going, you gave your life to Jesus at that concert? That was so awesome. Seriously, two days later, I'm in the car, turn the radio on to Yes FM. Some guy's on there. He's like, yeah, I just want to encourage people to listen to Christian music because my life was a wreck. I was struggling. And I went to this concert out in this small town in, called Wausau. You know, I'm just like, Wausau, dude. Um, and he goes, it was a skillet concert. What? You know, and this is like years later. He goes, and uh, I gave my life to Jesus, and I've never been the same since. I'm going, there's a lot of people that gave their life to Jesus at this concert. And I'm, I'm sitting there thinking about this. This was years later, a culmination of good. But it was my friend who passed away. Had he not passed away? I want to met that guy. No concert. No new life for Jesus. Doesn't make sense at the time, right? Doesn't make sense at the time. But because of all that, others are going to heaven. God worked everything together for his good. At the moment, I didn't get it. I don't always understand life, but I trust God. How do I trust God? His Holy Spirit working in me. That's the worship team to come forward. Church, listen very carefully. Do me a favor. I know this is the tempting part when it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to pack up my Bible and leave. Okay? Listen very carefully to me. Do you have a relationship with the God of this universe? Is the Holy Spirit residing in you? Do you trust him? If you were that person, for instance, the wheelbarrow over on, and God says, listen, I'm going to take you across something that's really scary. Do you really believe in me? Your life, that's it right there. That waterfall, it's scary. And there's going to be some moments when you're going to think, I'm nuts, I'm crazy. But you trust me to hop in the wheelbarrow with me? Matter of fact, I'll hold you. I'm right there with you. Matter of fact, I'm in you. You come with me and go across. Where are you at, church? Do you believe? Have you placed your faith in the Holy God? Listen, this isn't about, oh, I get my ticket to go to heaven. This is not just about eternity, you know, figuring out place your, your place in eternity. But this is about getting things right with the God of the universe now. To find hope, to find peace in your daily walk with him right now. Do you have that? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Close your eyes. I don't want to be looking around. I'm going to ask you right now, if your head's bowed, your eyes closed, start praying to God. Just thank God for being an incredible, mighty God who loves you. He didn't have to love you. You may not like your life. You may not like the things going on in your life. But God loves you. And that trumps everything. Are there some sins going on in your life right now? 
that are really messing you up, you need to confess them, go ahead and confess them. Tell them, God, I'm sorry. And go ahead and ask Him to forgive you for those things. If you're in here this morning and you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've never confessed your sins to the Holy God and you've never asked Jesus to come in your life, now is the time. Go ahead and surrender to Him. Go ahead and confess your sins. Ask God to come into your life. Ask His Spirit just to invade your life right now. Ask Him to be the Lord of your life. Making decisions. You need help. I need help. Ask Him to help you. You need peace right now. Ask God to come in. I need your peace. His direction in your life is ultimately better than your own direction. So ask Him to help you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, let's pray right now to you. You are a holy God. We are not. We need you, God. Right where we're sitting right now, we want to confess our sins to you. We want to admit we're sinners. We want to admit we've made mistakes. And we need forgiveness. God, forgive us of our anger. Forgive us of the words we use to hurt other people. Forgive us. God, thank you that you love us so much that you do forgive us. God, come into our lives. Come into our heart. Invade our heart right now. Transform us, God. We need hope. We need peace. We need strength. We need you. Your spirit living in me so that I can live in a way that honors you. So, God, we pray to come into our lives. God, help us to live the rest of today and tomorrow and the next day in a way that honors you. Help us to seek you every day. Nobody looking around. If you prayed this morning saying, I needed Jesus to come into my life. I've never prayed that prayer. I've never prayed and asked Jesus to, to come into my life. I've never asked God for forgiveness, but this morning I did. And, and I asked him to come into my life. I want to be a follower. I want to be a Christian. If that's you, if you prayed that prayer, would you raise your hand, please? I just want to see it's just you and me. Nobody else. Awesome. Some of you didn't raise your hand. Maybe you're like, I don't know. I'm going to tell you right now. Don't be standing on the side of that waterfall. You believe? you got to get in the wheelbarrow. There's nothing to be afraid of. This is a room with a lot of people who love Jesus. If you've confessed your sins to God today, and you've given your life to Him, and you're a follower of Him now, I'm going to tell you right now, you've got a room full of people that love you. They're going to stand with you. There's nothing to be ashamed. These people are going to be here for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for those that have prayed that prayer. There are some in this room that also have prayed a prayer just saying, God, I maybe already have a relationship with you, but I needed your peace today. Thank you, God, for answering these prayers. 
Please stand with me.